It's the RU Review brought to you by Zebra Pen. Find Zen in your pen. I'm Steve Titchener in the studio with Matt Lachlan and John McAlevey. And on the line joining us once again from New Jersey Advanced Media, Keith Sargent. Keith, thanks for giving us some time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Well, the Scarlet Knights with a much-needed break before Murderer's Row in, in November. And, Keith, just give us uh, give us your overall eight games in here, your overall feelings. What what sticks out to you at this point in, in a surprisingly bad season so far? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly – uh, way off what, what a lot of people initially, what we, we, we expected, um, you know, contending for a bowl game. I think a lot of it stems from back in July, they had the, uh, you know, the credit card, um, scandal, if you will. And, you know, the, the, it's hard when you're looking back on it and, and Chris Ash tried to downplay it. You know, I've asked, I asked him about it recently about it. And I understood the point of him trying to, to say, well, this is not going to have an impact on our team that we're going to get through is this is, you know, only a you know, bump in the road. We're going to be fine. But looking back on it, you know, eight players who are no longer, they're all scholarship players. You're taking away basically 10% of your scholarship players. They all came from one side of the ball defense, you know, all really basically the back seven of the defense. So you look at some of the issues that the team is having is, you know, the back seven of the defense, um, it really boils down to, Games that they were expected to win were at, you know, at least compete. You know, Kansas, Buffalo, those types of games, they lost. Not only did they lose, but they, you know, they, they get the doors blown off in a couple of those games. So that has the fan base had a fervor. You know, they went four and eight a year ago. Uh, by all accounts, it was, you know, a, a step in the right direction. And now it could be headed to one and 11. So, you know, who knows, you know, where, where it goes. November is going to be brutal. Um, you know, you look at the gauntlet of, of teams. I mean, the you know four best teams in the Big Ten probably. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging to be able to even compete, let alone uh, win one of those games. Well, in addition to the credit card issue, they also lost two guys to injury uh, very early, first game I think. And so, you know, now that that further decimated the defense. But with all that being said, why? I agree with you. I understand why he didn't want to put that out as an excuse early. He, you know, he wanted to come in full confidence. These guys can do it. It it took him a while though to finally say, "Hey guys, we got 16 guys back there." You know, like it, it just seemed to take him a while to acknowledge the truth. And was that just a coach, you know, wanting to lead his troops, you know, through the wall? Let's just break down all barriers and let's just full steam ahead. Or did he have faith that maybe some of the guys that he had underneath were able to step up and they just couldn't or didn't? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. It's a good point, Matt. But I, I think one of it, like I said, going back to is, you know, he didn't want that, you know, that, that you know, all, all hope is lost, you know, come, you know, back in July. He didn't want to say, like, this is going to be a big deal and there's going to be impact. But I do remember when I first heard about it in mid-July and, you know, I, I started getting into the names and, you know, I kind of got, you know, understood the, the magnitude of it. You know, my first instinct was, oh, this team's going to be terrible. And then you, you go to, you know, Big Time Media Day and, 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 and you know, he, he you know, tries to put a spin on it. You know, I get it. But, you know, I think it took him a little while to, to acknowledge it because, let's be honest, I don't think fans want to hear it. I don't want, I, I think the average fan, you know, that pays their money or, you know, is following along is, is, is you know, passionate about Rutgers. I, I, you know, in year three, I don't, I don't think they want to hear like an excuse, you know, even if it's a legitimate excuse, 
you know, they, 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 it's been a long time, you know, you know, since the team has, has competed, you know, there's the, the, the last time they went to a bowl game was uh, 2014. I think they just want to, you know, to, to see this team, you know, even if they don't get to a bowl game this year, cause you know, I think they do have enough perspective. The majority of the fan base knows what he inherited. It's just, I don't think they want to hear, you know, excuses for, for why the team is, you know, potentially headed to one and eleven. Why they're losing to Kansas? Well, why you, they're losing to Buffalo? Because when you're losing to a MAC level team, um, it shouldn't be. I mean, you're you're recruiting better than a MAC level team. You should not be losing by by you know the way they did to Buffalo. I, I, I you know no matter what you know the the issues were back in July or like you said, bless Austin. You know, is out for a year. They just don't want to hear an excuse for how you lose the Buffalo. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you're preaching to the choir here because I'm one of those guys among the three of us here, Steve, John, and myself. I say, listen, you don't understand what Chris Ash inherited and how difficult it is to rebuild that program in the Big Ten, playing in the Eastern Division. And Steve, who's a diehard and a season ticket holder and a Rutgers grad, is like, I don't care. You shouldn't lose the Buffalo. (laughs) So pretty much that story plays out here every week. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, without question, without yeah. question. So yeah, I mean, and those two win, those two losses right in a row, Kansas and Buffalo, just took the wind out of me. And then it was just like, then your hands are up in the air, and you're like, what the heck's going on here with this, uh, with this, uh, with this program? And uh, and then you know, let's face it, Keith, we're we're moral victory university. I mean, that's what we yeah, are. Yeah, so yeah. so in a strange yeah. way, in a strange yeah. way, the fact that they were able to compete with Northwestern actually gave me a little, uh, you know, a little lift for this season. But on, on, on that same note, uh, that team in purple was begging to lose on the other sideline. And the fact that no Rutgers didn't come out of that victory with a win is just, uh, man, it's just so frustrating. It's just really been, I've never, you know, look, as a Rutgers fan, frustration is part of, the, part of the deal. But I've never had the level of frustration I've had this season. How about yourself? Yeah, and, and part of that is is really the Northwestern game specifically. You know, it kind of played out the way I, I, I expect. I think, you know, I, I put in print that they were going to lose really close. might have been even a one point. Um, I think you said 28-27, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, but I, I think part of it stems from two things. I think the teams, even Maryland, you know, we saw a Ty Johnson, who's a you know superior athlete than anything that Rutgers has. Those types of teams are going to break big plays. I mean, we've seen big plays really haunt Rutgers the the entire year, whereas Northwestern, they don't really have those elite superior athletes. So I kind of figured they'd be able to compete with them. But at the end of the day, you know, Northwestern won that game because they were just so far superior on both lines and they wore them down that fourth quarter, you know, Rutgers defense was, was gassed and Northwestern. Anytime you don't give the ball back up for, for the final six, and a half minutes. I mean, it really speaks to just wearing that team down. So kind of played out the way I, I expected. Keith, I have a two-part question for you. Part number one, since you were very close on your prediction for uh, Rutgers losing in a close game, do you have any idea of the Powerball numbers for tomorrow night? And number two, <laughs> number two, what happened to Isaiah Pacheco in the second half? Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, first we... So, so we pressed them. It's a great question, Steve. But we we pressed them, um, you know, after the game, and um, and the, the the issue was, in my mind, was Chris Ash said, "It's a good question. Um, probably he would have said the same thing to you. It's a good question, and I have to go, you know, you, uh, talk to the offensive staff about it." 
And my issue with that is, you know, you're the head coach, and, right. I, and I know that Chris Ash is professed. You know, he concedes that he's a defensive guy, and he's going to keep his hands off it. He did it with Drew Maringer, he did it with Jerry Kill, and now he's certainly doing with John, uh, with, with John McNulty. Um, I get that. I get that. You know, that he's not going to. Uh, uh, have all that much control, certainly not as much control as he does on the defense. I get it. But that being said, you're the head coach. You know, you're, you know, before every single drive, you should be telling the office coordinator, this is the, the, the tenor of this drive. I want to see us, uh, you know, have a nice, you know, ball control. Let's establish a run. We're, we're, we're in whatever you say in that headset before. And you should also have a handle on the, on, on the, on the personnel, you know, when everyone in that, in, in, in that, you know, stadium, kept on wondering, well, where's Pacheco? You know, he had a great first half. Is he, is he hurt? Yeah. You should have a handle on the personnel. So that's one issue. Looking back on it, the way that game played out, there were only 20 plays in the second half, and, you know, they, they didn't convert anything on third down. They're obviously going to be throwing the ball a little bit. I thought the biggest issue was the second drive, and I understood why John McNulty was playing last year. He's their best player. They got him back for the second half because he wasn't available in the first half. So I understood why... He, play, he starts them in the first on that first series. The second series, he plays Trey Sneed, who has been almost a forgotten guy. He's been buried on the depth chart the entire year. He has some moments in the, in, in the first half, but certainly not you know anything like Pacheco Pacheco did, who had that big long run right. for a touchdown. You know, to me that was you know that was certainly questionable. Like where's Pacheco on that drive? You know, putting it in perspective. You know, I think John McNulty was right. I think that, you know, 20 plays, when you only had 20 plays and you're throwing the ball on a lot of those, there's only so many times that you can actually get in the ball. I get it. I thought the bigger issue was Chris Ash not really having a, um, you know, an answer in the postgame. And, and it boiled down to him saying, you know, I have to uh, talk to the, coach, the, the office staff about it. He should be talking to the offensive staff during the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And the other thing is, and this is a little nitpicking, you brought out the major issues. But you have to have somebody around you, and this falls to your media relations staff, as you're gathering and getting ready to go speak to the media, what are the issues? What are they going to ask me? What answers do I need to yep. come up with? It happens all the time uh, in my uh, point of view with the Devils. They're always talking, yep. coach and media guy, what am I going to have to handle? And the, and somebody in that media relations staff had to say, they're going to ask you about Isaiah. Okay, I have to have an answer. Because people, but don't. I got to tell you, Matt. Too, uh, it's a great point. But I got to tell you, Matt. Like Chris Ash, part of the reason why I like dealing with the guy is he's very honest, as opposed okay. to some. I'm not going to mention, all, you know, all the coaches I've covered, but you can imagine, like you, you, you get not only do you get co-speak, but you get, you don't get like the most honest answer in that. So he could have come up with something on the fly, you know, some sort of excuse. Like he just didn't have an answer to it, so he he, you know, he said what he did. Um, it didn't come across well, yeah. but I think part of that is stems from him being honest. I get that. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think I, I, I tweeted this uh, yesterday. It's, I also think, you know, there, there was a time, you know, in his first two years where offensive and the defensive coordinator would be available post game. So maybe that was one instance where um, if John McNulty says what he did, you know, what he said on Wednesday when, when we talked to him, if he said that on Saturday, I think fans could have accepted that. It's not as big of a story. Instead, it goes for four days where, where people are talking about it, and by then the narrative has already been written. And everything is an issue when you have one win on the season. So, Of course, right. and that's what it all boils Keith, down to. Yeah. Let me expound on that a little bit with the, with the running back situation. Though I mean, you know, seven games in at, at, at the point of that Northwestern game, 
And, you know, and I watch every game. I mean, Blackshear, a very nice player, but he can't break tackles. He can't run in between the tackles. He goes down with an arm tackle. I mean, I think one of the biggest differences between last year's – now, Gus Edwards made the Ravens. He's an NFL yeah. back. Think about him yeah. last year. That's a big, explosive back. And, and in, in the Big Ten where he belongs, I mean, I, those teams are like, God, i got to deal with this for four quarters? This guy? I mean, he, he put a level of toughness. And look, uh, look, Hilleman is 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 not he, – look, he's he's almost as big, not as big, not as explosive. He's just not as – as much as, as Gus Edwards was. My point was, is that Isaiah Pacheco appears to be that type of player. And um, I, I don't understand why. I understand, they, uh, from what I understand, they wanted to reward him for coming. He was at, unfortunately, at his, it was grandmother's funeral. He, came, he yep. made it to the game. He made it there by the second half, and they wanted to reward that. I get it. But the hot hand was Pacheco, and the fact that he wasn't used. I mean, even Politi said it was malpractice. I mean, really unbelievable that he wasn't. In, yeah. In that, yeah. And, and again, I mean, I don't think you're wrong per se. And I will say this: that you know, uh, you 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 mentioned Gus Edwards, another guy who who uh, you know comes to mind is Robert Martin, the mm-hmm. same type of guy who who, who, who made the Giants. The last couple of years, yeah. exactly. And, and you know, these guys are, are just have, have some. They're they're not. You know, I mean, Blackshear is a good player. But he's just not going to be that type of guy every down back, and you know, no one ever thought that he was going to be. And, and you know, on this team, he might have to be. But Pacheco, mm-hmm. I think part of it too, Steve, is, is I think you know, you, you look at that third down play where where Sikowski gets crushed, and yeah. uh, there was a right tackle who who who, mm-hmm. who uh, whiffed on it, but then it was the, the running back responsibility to, to 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 chip him, and it never happened. And so, you know, so his. Pass protection. Yeah, McNulty not, mentioned it, that. McNulty said he's not issue. picking and, up the and, blitz. And the coaching staff's not going to say that. They're not mm-hmm. going to come out and just blast right. him, you know, because it gives a competitive mm-hmm. advantage to the other team. But I think that's, let's be honest, I think that could be part of it. And then, two, you know, in the last two weeks, I know it's not, you know, on, on offense, but, you know, in the kick, in, in the kick return game, yeah. they're trying to get, a, get ways to get, to get him the ball. You know, at Maryland, he doesn't come up to field the, the kickoff, you know, in the wind, and Maryland recovers. You know, to, to start the game uh, against Northwestern, another mistake, he tries a fair yeah. catch, another error. So the kid is a true freshman. I mean, the kid is a very talented true freshman. But I think at the end of the day, I think you know, you know, those plays are in your mind when when you're when you're trying to determine when you again when you only have 20 plays in the second half. I think that all kind of you know filters into your mind. Keith, how about Art Sitkowski? We have a little good news, bad news. The good news is he completed more than two passes on Saturday. <laughs> 15 of John's those. on this, but sour. Yeah, but they only go for 81 yards. I mean, we're eight games now into a heralded recruits freshman year. I know he doesn't have a lot to work with here, but as I said, eight games in, where are we with uh, the Art Sitkowski era at Rutgers? So I, I actually have been looking into it, and I wrote, wrote it somewhat during the summer, and I'm probably going to write it again. I'll give you a little preview of it. But nice. if you just look at like the true freshmen who have played, you know, it, you know, I know, you know, it's tough to compare errors, but you know, uh, you know, Ryan Cubitt, um, he might not be the guy who Rutgers fans want to remember, but <laughs> he really struggled his freshman year. Uh, Ryan Hart really, really struggled. Mike Peel even. You know, in 2005, when he first came in, I know he was a redshirt freshman, but he really struggled. If you look at some of these uh, quarterbacks, it does take some time. Um, and again, if you and I've written this many, many times, is you know their wide receiver play. 
you could say all these different things and break it down about the, them not having a tall, you know, six two, six three, six four type guy, and they're all you know small, mm-hmm. and they're all the same type of players, and they can't get separation. You could break all that down, but here's the bottom line, guys: When was the last time they got a fifty fifty ball, like a fifty fifty ball yeah. down the field where it's either the wide receiver or the defensive back coming down with it? It just never happens. So mm-hmm. you can. It's not. My point is. It's not all you know, his fault. Absolutely, line, he's not, it's not getting a lot of help. And of course, it comes with the territory. And yes, Sikowski is you know first one to, to concede. Eighty-one yards is not enough. But it, it, when we're talking about it, there are a lot of issues. I mean, it's probably if you're going to be fair, it's probably forty percent on on Sikowski and then the rest on the offensive line and and you know the lack of, of talent in the wide receivers. So what's done is done. They can't replay these games. They've got this gauntlet coming up, and they probably won't come out of it in all that good of a spot. Uh, being competitive might be the most you can ask. Uh, we had Eric Legrand on last week, and he was saying, fellas, I'm worried that somebody might put 100 up on this defense. Uh, and <laughs> that might be stretching it just a bit, but I understand Eric's fear. So there have to be answers somewhere. Not about these four games because Rutgers has the hand that it's playing, and that's just the way it's going to be. They're going to have to just kind of go into a shell, do the best they can, and try to limit the damage. Where are the answers coming from, from Chris Ash? I know there have been decommits, but that happens all the time. Yep. How affected yep. has the recruiting class been? I'm sure the coaches these uh, in this off week and, and throughout the season have just been pounding the message that better days are ahead. What are you hearing? Uh, is this recruiting class really going to be affected by this disastrous year? Yeah, I think that is a great question. I'm today, you know, as we talk, I, they, they just got a uh, commitment from a Connecticut uh, defensive lineman who they really like. Um, you know, he did have some uh, pretty big offers. I don't look at the recruiting rankings like other people. I look at like the offer list. So th- this kid seems like a pretty good get. Um, they got a recommitment from, from from a kid who who, who they really like a lineman. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they're you know when, when you see some of these guys who are decommitting, and again, it does happen everywhere. But you know, it's a bad sign when when the team's one and eleven. The recruiting class, um, going back to the rankings, I guess, you know, wasn't really highly touted to begin with. And then when you're losing players from it, it's a bad sign. I think the biggest issue and the thing, the biggest concern, and I'm not trying to, you know, to raise a, you know, an alarm here, but it happens everywhere, is keeping the players in the program who are there now, you know, retaining those players. Because Chris Ash has said part of their issue is not being able to keep the 2014 and 2015 recruiting classes together. Those were Kyle flood recruit uh, recruiting classes. And, you know, the bulk of those players are no longer there and that impacts depth. Well, you can't have it both ways because I think if they start losing some of those guys and it's probably inevitable when you, when you go one and 11, that, you know, kids who aren't playing um, are going to, going to look elsewhere, but you can't have it both ways. So they're going to need to do a really good job re-recruiting some of those guys. And again, this is not something that it does happen everywhere. Auburn, you know, in the midst of, you know, being two and one and being a you know top 25 team, they lost a couple of players during the season. Clemson lost it, you know, a quarter, like it, it happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think those are going to be the biggest issues, you know, come November. And then, you know, obviously, you know, as we get into the uh, off season, you know, keeping the players that are currently in the program and then being able to maintain and try to bolster this recruiting class. You mentioned the overall shape of a program. Uh, I, I found it interesting. I listened to the rebuilding Rutgers podcast that, uh, that you were on with James Cratch and uh, Steve Politi the other day. And I thought an interesting point of view you guys brought up 
was the coaches Chris Ash now in his third season at Rutgers and how he lines up with how Rutgers is performing with, say, Dino Babers at Syracuse and also Jeff Brom at Purdue, how those programs are really on the rise where Rutgers has, you know, fallen by the wayside even further. Talk about that a little bit, if you could. Yeah, and every coach is going to uh, every coach is going to talk about like what they inherited. What my point was, Syracuse has fallen on hard times. I know they had one or two years where you know they they they, they uh, got back to a bowl, but let's be honest. Since Paul Pasqualoni in two thousand four, you know, in that range, they you know, two thousand five, they they've really fallen on, on on hard times. It's been a long time since they were competitive, and so, and you know, you look at their uh, facilities; they don't have exactly the great uh, facilities. They don't have a great recruiting area to to, to pull kids from. So I'm sure Dino Babers. Would, would argue that like, he inherited a pretty bad you know, mess that, you know, when he took over, you know, he, they beat Clemson a year ago. They're competitive against Clemson. They're going to go, go to a bowl game. You know, that to me, you know, speaks to, you know, you, you take what you have and, and you make the best of it and you just work and, and, and you, you trust in your system and, you know, for what, what, whatever it's worked. So Jeff Brom, again, Purdue, not, not necessarily having a whole lot of tradition, in two years, I mean, year one, he got to a bowl game, and this year, you see what they've done. I, of course, they did Ohio lose State. the first three games, and you know, all games were close. You know, but um, it was almost like, well, what, what Rutgers hasn't done. Rutgers had, you know, a year ago they lost to Eastern Michigan. They were able to rebound a little bit. You know, <laughs> this year they lose to Buffalo. They lose to Kansas. There was no fight. There was no, you know, at least that was my perception of it. No, no, no ability to rebound from it. So, you know, Purdue has taken, you know, an 0-3 start and has rebounded to beat Ohio State, not just, you know, beat them, but like, you know, drub them. Right. And you know, all of a sudden you look at, you know, he's going to be one of the hottest coaches on, you know, on the, on the coaching carousel, mm-hmm. this, you know, this offseason. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's really done a good job. I think, I guess the, the ultimate point would be, you know, whoever you know, takes over a program, every situation is different. And, you know, I think, to say that Rutgers was the only program that inherited a, that Chris Ash was the only program uh, coach that inherited a mess it would probably be a little naive. You know, these other coaches have, have, have taken what, whatever they inherited and made the best of it. You're listening to the RU Review brought to you by Zebra Pen. Our guest is Keith Sargent from New Jersey Advanced Media. And uh, Keith, nice article on the history of Rutgers Stadium. <laughs> Got some great pictures in there, too. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I was, I was, he spent a day over Alexander Library. I love doing uh-huh. the historical pieces. I think they're well received, and I, 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 I kind of had this on my radar for a while because I knew the 80th, you know, anniversary, not of the stadium, because you know, Rutgers officials, you remember Matt, that you know, way back in you know the early 90s, you know, they they made a point that this is a new stadium because they pr- pretty much tore down the other one, all the concrete, but it's basically on the same site. And if you read the, I love going back in the archives and reading the old newspapers of, of you know, how it was built. And like, you know, if you remember, it was basically the AD at the time, George Little, probably doesn't get enough credit as being like the, the father of, of, of Rutgers Stadium. But he had the foresight, the president at the time had the foresight to, to move the stadium from like a 35-seat wooden bleachers that were deteriorating into... Oh. What, what is now the Bush campus, which is, you know, uh-huh. a beautiful sprawling, uh, you know, campus. And he had the foresight to, to say, we're going to, uh, you know, morph into a, you know, big tent, you know, a, a you know, a college football, um, you know, facility is what we're, yeah. we're, we're going to try to do. And I, I think I tweeted, I didn't put it in the article, but you guys will appreciate this, but 
I, I doing the research, George Little had previously coached at Michigan and was the eight, it was, was a, an administrator there and was an administrator at Wisconsin. But at the time, people were, were quoted as saying, like, you know, records officials were quoted as saying that they brought him in to, to, to instill a Big Ten way of thinking, which is really interesting when you look at it now. I mean, this was 80 years ago when, when, when George Little was brought in. You know, it's kind of what, you know, Rutgers needs to get back to, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, not just uh, in a lot of sports. Not just yeah, when I went to school, there was the late 80s, early 90s. I graduated in 93, and this was just before the build. And I was saying when I first went to the games, I was like, man, this place needs work. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and I love what they did. I think it's a fantastic uh, place to watch a game. It really I, is one of the best yeah. in college football. I mean, it, when the leaves change, oh, it's it's just you got awesome. that foliage. And, you know, and I, I have What's seats. That, no? I have seats up. I'm on. I'm at the 45 yard line, up uh, at 220 or whatever it is up there, and I, I love yeah. my seats. And uh, it's a beautiful view, especially when the when the trees change colors and all. I mean, it's really. I, yeah. I, I think it's. Uh, I think they did a fantastic job. So one more for me, Keith, and you know, Keith yep. Ash, uh, uh, Chris Ash took over the defense, and they played fantastic on Saturday. Uh, I think that's very encouraging. So ending on a positive. I think going into these four games is, is, is look. Could they hold their own against these these four powerhouses with that no. defense playing the way they are? Let's <laughs> sorry, John, Johnny boy, Johnny no. boy. I'm sorry, can that they, was me. Can they at least? I mean, can they at least? Because again, back to moral, yeah. uh, moral yeah. victory. University. Can they? I mean, it, it, it awakened for sure, and, and it begs the question why he didn't take over the defense earlier, but they played very well on Saturday against a, a very good uh, offense. They have a good quarterback, Northwestern, good running back, good good receivers. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Wisconsin, uh, kind of like Northwestern in some ways, uh, you know, I, I know Jonathan Taylor is, is phenomenal, but uh, like, is he, uh, the, you know, the breakaway guy? I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm gonna, you guys are going to probably make fun of me, you know, uh, you know two weeks from now, because he's probably going to get like four, like big, big long runs, and you're probably going to look back on it and laugh. But he, he's not Ty Johnson. He's not some of the guys who they face who have been breaking these 50 yard runs. So if they can hold their own and you know stop the run, I know you know it's, it's you know the first and foremost so we could do every week. But you know, they should be able to, to to keep this one close. And then I think you know Wisconsin's just going to wear them down at the end because they're so far superior. So I can see that game being a little bit closer than than people expect. You know the Michigan and and Penn State. We've seen this formula before. Mm-hmm. It's just they, you know, these guys have they've recruited at such a high level, and they've yeah. you know pr- pretty much gotten anyone they wanted. You know, and they've done anything they really wanted against Rutgers the last couple of years. I think those games are going to be, you know, if the score is respectable at the end, it's probably going to speak to Jim Harbaugh and 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 James Franklin not running it up. Yeah, because I I have no. You know, feeling of whether or not they're going to be able to, to I have no confidence that they're going to be able to 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 compete. You know, and win those games. Well, and I mean, Michigan State is, is another team like Wisconsin, where they're not going to, um, you know, blow the doors off yet because they're athletes. But so maybe Rutgers can 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 compete in that game and keep that respectable. But yeah, I think getting back to the defensive point, it is encouraging. It, it is, and it speaks to, you know, this guy. You know, like him or not, and a lot of fan, fans are. are down on him right now. The guy knows what he's doing from a defensive uh, standpoint. So, yeah, I think he's been able to maybe instill some some better confidence in, in the defensive players. The secondary played fantastic. It was what we thought that secondary would be all season, right? I mean, they were blanketing sure. those receivers. I mean, that that quarterback who made he he was it was a tough afternoon. I'm telling you, yeah. they played yeah. really well. So it, it was certainly encouraging. 
you know, I think with Michigan, I think that Harbaugh, if he gets past Penn State, is a lot to play for. So I think he'll come out fast in the first half. But in the second half, he's probably going to take the brakes off. No, he's time. not. See, that's the one guy yeah. who won't do it. I, I think know. maybe. No. I mean, he's got a lot to play for. He's got Ohio State. He's got to stay healthy. I mean. I, and I think Penn State's the one where Franklin might be the one who wants to put the gas. I mean, the could because he needs a big you know? win more, maybe more than Harbaugh does. Yeah. But Harbaugh, does, I, I don't I think he has Franklin. it. In. I, I think that's the point. I think Franklin. And I'll say this: uh, you know, the common misconception with with, with with fans is that eighty to seven game that everyone remembers a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I covered. It. I, like we, we, Tim Harbaugh is not running that game up, but they're running that yeah. score up. And Chris Ash even could see like they were. You know, with, with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, they were doing everything they could not score, and Rutgers still couldn't stop them. It's not like, yeah. you know, he was trying to run that up. Um, but again, I mean, it kind of speaks to Rutgers' ability to, or lack of talent, not just on the, on the first team, but second, yeah. third team. It just they they, they did not were not able to compete with mm-hmm. Michigan that night. I don't think Jim Harbaugh will, will run it up. I could be wrong, but you guys are right. I think he's going to be playing for for a lot bigger things at that point. And Keith, you mixed up your blowouts. It was seventy nine nothing. The eighty yeah. eighty seven was West Virginia. Yes, eighty seven was. I covered that game too. I was at you know I I, I was in the press box for that one. Too, Maybe so. you should stay away from some of these games, Keith. It sounds like maybe you're the kiss of death. I was there for Louisville, too. In 20, in 20, uh, yeah. Pandemonium, yeah, that was it. You should have hung up your uh, pen, pen then in your computer. Oh, boy. Well, Keith, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, and we hope we can catch you later in the season, hopefully on a better uh, a better note, maybe on a winning Thank note. Guys. I appreciate time. it. All right, All right, Keith, thanks very right much. On. Thank Bye-bye. you, Keith. Take care. And that's Keith Sargent from uh, New Jersey Advanced Media, and it's Murderer's Row in November, guys. Let's face it, four really tough opponents, and you know you want to just hold it, hold it at a reasonable score. I mean, really, it's 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 hard saying that, but I mean, you, you can't, you just a win is just like not going to happen. Well, you, you want you, the Big Ten, excuse me, Matt. You want the Big Ten. You got the Big Ten, and this is what you know. It's all the that, early years, John. Early, it's the early, early years, years, but that mon- with that money comes. You know, you got to lace them up and play against these teams, and everybody knew that they were there, and that uh, wins against these teams were probably not going to be in the cards. You just at this point don't want to get completely steamrolled, which will, um, you know, further cast a pall over the program right now. But you know, we're going to see the big big teams come into town, and that'll be mm-hmm. good for fans to see as well. Yeah, and I think that anything. Anyone expecting anything other than four losses is being an eternal optimist. But they do come off one of their better games. They have a chance to get a little healthy, whoever was banged up with the bye week. Coaches can plan for Wisconsin. And as Keith mentioned, Wisconsin has some talent and they may wear them down, but they may not be that explosive team you have to Mm -hmm. worry about. And so you slowly start to churn. Is that going to result in a win in these last four games? I highly doubt it, but at least competitive might be on the mix. And I'll leave it with this. I mean, it was encouraging to see them against uh, play well against Northwestern. And so you stuck again, around till the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. I was there to the fourth quarter. As right? opposed to looking at your watch and saying, yeah, you know, if I leave now, exactly. I can you're, beat you're, some you're traffic. Plotting, beating traffic and all that stuff. So, I mean, yes. for in this case, I just would say that uh, uh, you would hope that they are competitive. That's really what it comes down to. And that we don't see these horrible blowouts that we've seen in the past. And I'll just say, I'll just say that uh, th- that would be my hope for to end the season. And it looks like it's going to be one and 11. Pyrrhic victories. And that'll do it for this week's RU Review, brought to you by Zebra Pen. 
Find Zen in your pen. We'd like to thank Keith Sargent for joining us from New Jersey Advanced Media. Steve Titchener, Matt Lachlan, John McAlevey. We'll catch you all next week for more Rutgers football. Bye-bye.